Um, <clears throat> my name's Denzel Taylor. Um, I'm just down the road at a radio station called Power FM. We, we don't speak to ourselves as, as a new kid on the block anymore because the last awards that, that happened, um, I actually think we, we came out top. So, so that's where I am. I'm, and I am head of news there, but at something like that, at a place like that, you're, you're a little bit of everything. Welcome, Iman Rapetti. Iman Rapetti works at Power FM. Uh, <clears throat> and, and Lance Rothschild, too. I used to work with him, too. So I want to thank Franz and, and every, every other person for actually um, inviting me here. Um, must be at conference. Um, sorry, let me just put this off. Must be at conference. Just understanding, too, that um, the reason why you don't have a PowerPoint is I actually thought I would ANC conference this morning, come here, go to work, bring stuff back, and Jacob Zuma, <laughs> Jacob Zuma hadn't spoken yet. Um, <clears throat> so that's one of the beauties of what we do in newsrooms. Um, disclaimer, <clears throat> I, was, I was emailed, WhatsApped, and asked to speak on uh, alternative news, fake news in newsrooms, and how it impacts. And I kind of was left with a broad spectrum of how to, how to deal with it. I've chosen a certain way. Um, but I do want to say that uh, Franz Kruger was my first news editor at the SABC uh, years ago. And um, if they today think that I'm an expert on fake news, well then, huh. blame, blame the guy at the back there if, if, I, am, if I have turned out to be, to be exactly that. Um, so what, what do you do when, when um, the topic of fake news is thrown at you? <clears throat> you come prepared, of course. <laughs> come prepared, of course. <clears throat> so so um, if, if you asked me um, internationally uh, what, I, what I would sort of visualize fake news as, um, without putting any concrete relevance to it, it would be CNN. Um, I think just because of the election that they had and also the issues between Trump and then and Hillary. The other would be Donald Trump himself. Uh, I think he's, if not coined that phrase. Um, that's, that's the international perspective. Back home, if you asked me what fake news uh, looked like, I, I, I would potentially say, and, and this is where I'm, I, I, I'm going to say things, I would potentially say it's that TV station down the road called ANN7, I'll, I'll do that. And then in the newspaper space, I'll say it's their sister um, uh, newspaper, sister company, which is, which is the New Age. And I'll, I'll argue that point later on if there's a different view, but, but for me, locally, that's what I would visualize as it for, 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 the, for the different reasons. So Franz pulled, I just want to also say it's very brave, Franz, to on the same day that the ANC has its closing conference, President Jacob Zuma wants to speak. They have 4,000 delegates there, and you organize yours on the same day. I mean, just like, well done, well done. Brave, in the, brave individuals. But as you begin to speak of fake news as well, there's this thing called 
Bell Pottinger, which in the US now, in the UK now, has got issues of its own, but it's it's played its own role here, and and for me there's an irony there too, because they are an image damaging reputational company. So when you hire them, that's what they do. They come in and fix a business that necessarily has been impacted by some of the work that maybe you and I would do. So don't be surprised then that that is what they did. I think what surprised us most, if one looks back, is to the extent that they lowered the bar. When when absolute personal attacks were made on people, journalists, editors, and you never saw it coming. So and actually placed people's lives in danger. So I don't think that if if you, so so the 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 turmoil and the and the and the stuff around who they are, what they do, who they do it to, and why they do it. Let's not have that debate about them. Let's maybe have a debate on whether they just stooped too low in in the space that they work, because that's why they were hired in the first place. So, I want to go because I've just come from conference, and if you if you, with your permission, just let me let me go there a little bit. Um, I want to take you back to to not the last ANC conference, but the one before, so that would be about 10 years ago, pre-Polokwane space. And I want to take you to, to, and we talk about the impact on newsrooms and what we do in journalism. So then I want to take you back to what we actually wrote, and Google is my friend. So I want to take you back to some of the stuff that we actually wrote about the man then. So the issues around Jacob Zuma at that point were they wanted him in. Tabumbeki was the other character, and this is the guy they want in. Now, they want him out. But, if you make Google your friend, there were some really credible journalists, still credible today, they sit in really high positions of newsroom spaces, who wrote the most fascinating things about Jacob Zuma. They wrote about why he would be better than Tabumbeki. They wrote about why he was the man to, to take over. They wrote about issues pertaining to his character. He was the man on the ground. He understood people. He was less formal. That was him. And they wrote it. You, could have, you can go back and read it. It's there. And with some fascinating... Uh, bylines. You'll, you'll, you'll see that. If you fast forward 10 years on, and you look at the headings now, and you look at the same bylines, I won't mention the names, but you, mention, you look at the same bylines, and how that has changed from writing around the same individual. So, so for me, the irony is this, because in as much as I'm getting to we'll talk about fake news, I want to talk about what we do first in the spaces where we do this stuff and, and why the challenge then of whether it's fake news and people can look at real decent work and say, well, that's fake. So they write that. 
But Jacob Zuma was facing 700 charges at that conference. They weren't dropped yet. Jacob Zuma was, was facing all sorts of other issues. There were, he had just come out of a, of a rape trial. There was the Shabir Sheikh trial, where the trial was more about him than it was about Shabir Sheikh. And if you go back and, and you, you look at what happened in the Shabir Sheikh trial, it's just, let's name five issues, for example. In the Shabir Sheikh trial, Jacob Zuma, Shabir Sheikh paid for his kids' education and accommodation, paid for his cars, paid for his travel, paid for his laundry, loaned him money. So that's the guy heading into pre-Polokwane that we wrote about. And we said he was the best damn thing we could have. That's what we wanted. Ten years later, same byline, same byline, same people writing about it have changed. Jacob Zuma hasn't changed. He's still that guy. So, so why are serious journalists writing serious commentary around this guy who hasn't changed. So that's the kind of stuff that lands up in our newsrooms and the kind of content we put out when people begin to say, yes, but you guys are like this or you guys are like that. Maybe it's just, you know, we've forgotten what we've written. Maybe it is just, you know, um, we find that we have the license to be able to do that and, and nobody will notice. But people do, and uh, people do research, and when the criticism comes, it comes at us like that. That's what the criticism comes at us like. Just down the road, um, at, a, at a place where I used to be employed, um, there's restructuring happening. They are basically uh, letting the newsroom go. Um, it's, a sad, it's a sad case. And, and why do I mention it again in the context of fake news? Um, and I didn't say the previous was fake news. I'm just trying to get you to understand what happens in our newsrooms first. So they're letting everybody reapply and, you know, um, all the staff have to leave and you, know, and you have to argue why you've got your job and why you should be still in your job. And it's sad. Um, it's personal for me too because I really built it. Now I've got to see it on the other side. But it's significant of what's going on in the industry. So now we're putting a whole newsroom out onto the street, basically. They will find jobs. I mean, other people will hire them. But what does it do to that institution that was once a news institution? That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. So what will now happen is, is you will run 15, 20-second sound bites into, what, a two, three-minute news bulletin, and you'll call it news. You will have lost something called an editorial component. That will have gone because you've, you've changed the system somewhat and, and your, your whole newsroom has a, has a different aspect and it, it reports differently and, 
and um, your, your more, I'm not saying senior people are, are good to keep, but, but if you understand the editorial side of things, it just comes with experience sometimes in a good editor. What you lose in that space is you lose content and you lose context. So yes, you can still argue that you run news and you distribute information, but you've destroyed something, a formal component, a formal channel of news and, and, and other information. So what happens when what happens when you do that? It's, 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 that, it's that whole thing about content and context. So you've also, and we've, we've beaten this drum uh, long and hard about it, is, is the juniorization of newsrooms. But let me be the last to, to speak on that because I am one of the first people when looking at a CV, who will say, I'd rather entrust or hire someone who has the spirit, who has the energy, who has the, who has the, the urge to want to do this job and do this job properly than somebody who sits in front of me and starts a conversation about car allowances and other stuff before they even get into the job. So I am the first to bring in, and if you look at my newsrooms and previous ones, you will see that it's filled with young people, young energy, enthusiastic people about this thing called news. But I do want to argue that on the other side, you do lose this thing called editorial depth. So, yeah, we're juniorizing the newsrooms, and the people that are changing the newsrooms in, in some ironic way, and the one down the road as well, it's not like they don't have the financial means. Businesses that are changing their newsrooms are actually doing pretty well. They, every year you'll hear of how they beat the previous target. They made 450 million rand last year, this year they made 475 million rand. And then it's hard to try to understand then what's going on in the newsroom space. It's just a business decision. The irony about something like that, too, is that in a lot of these forums, and a lot of other forums that we, we all dragged to, to come and speak about, and where we engage, and we talk about journalism, and, and the ethics, and whatever it is, the same groups that are destroying their newsrooms some of the loudest voices to be heard. And that's unfortunate sometimes. And we do, we allow them the spaces to go and do that. But internally, their mindset is not geared to, to that which, which we see as, as product-orientated. They see it as a business and a monetary, and a monetary thing. The fourth point I, I want to raise in, in the space of what we do to and how sometimes we should carry the blame for how fake news has infiltrated our spaces, is you just have to open up a newspaper, and sometimes you just have to maybe just listen to a radio station. Well, it's good that you should listen to mine. Um, I, think, I, think you, I think you should. 
uh, Iman Rapetis has, has an awesome show between 9 and 12. Plug. So, uh, award-winning show. Yes, yeah. Um, but if you just listen and read, you will notice something that silently crept into the spaces. And you might not even be aware of it, but, but I read five newspapers a day and everybody says, wow, you know. And even if I don't read them, I drag them home and then I read them. But here it is. We don't report anymore. Now you look at me and you go, wow, okay, what's this dude talking about? But we don't. Okay. I wrote something quite awesome here and I think I should read it. Okay. What we do is we actually go to a press conference where information is being disseminated, call it an ANC press conference, and we begin to analyze it even before it's spoken to. So we criticize it, we've come there with a preconceived idea of what it should look like because we have ideas of what our own spaces should look like, and we get there and we begin to report report in that space of analysis, criticism, um, commentary, and that's it. And I've just wondered sometimes whether we haven't lost that element of plain and simple reporting on something. If it's important enough for us to put it on a diary or an agenda, let's go and report it, get it in its factual component, bring it back to base and report it as is. Yes, some of us are allowed to do that, because I just think because we've just worn the carpet out so many times through, through walking the same path or just been to so many press conferences and you read and you begin to say, I get it now, I understand it, so I'm allowed to begin to speak to it. That's fine. Imandra Petty does that and she speaks to certain content. Political analysts do. But if you open up a newspaper and if you listen to some radio stations, people who have just walked through the door yesterday into the space of journalism are comfortably writing about ANC policy and what it should be and how this is wrong and how that should be instead of first and foremost, just reporting. Because before you get there, you, you just need to do this thing called reportage sometimes. And, and I think back in the old days that what it was, it was a reporter. And, and you, would, you, would, you would just graduate through the seniority of that, but you were a reporter. And that word, I think, is an important word because it just defines what someone was doing. And many times, you will have the ANC speak to us and say, well, actually, you don't do that function anymore. That is the criticism they put before us. And sometimes, before I, I, I want to step into that space and go, yes, but we're allowed to, we're journalists, and defend that last pillar you know, of truth and whatever it is, before I do that, I actually sit and I go, yeah, you're so right. You know, because, because, they, because it is. Because we don't do that anymore. We, we've just allowed uh, our, 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 our space of coverage 
to be clouded by absolute commentary and an individual commentary because it comes from a certain space as well. So, so what I'm arguing is, yes, there's the space to analyze and criticize and, and open up those debates. But I'm also saying, let's be real honest about ourselves and say maybe we need to go back to basics and that we need to, we need to just begin reporting or at least bring that back into our spaces again. Um, So, one of, the, one of the things that, just one of the threads that I, I think is important is, is that we need, to, we need to, instead of, I'll just re rehash some of the stuff, instead of dumbing down the newsrooms, let's just finance good journalism, let's train good journalists, you know, let's just take it seriously for, 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 for once, or for a better word, let's just, let's just, get involved in our industry. And, and fake news, it, it doesn't come with a label that says, hi, I'm fake news, you know, written all over the space. It doesn't come empty-handed. It's heavily moneyed. It's resourced. And top of why it exists sometimes is is it has an agenda. So let's go back to ANN7 and, and understand that animal a little bit. And maybe you, 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 you think about it. So when they launched, they launched and it was great and we all welcome a new competitor on the platforms. Uh, let's, let's, I do. I'm, I'm always open to, to new competitors because it just upskills and makes things, you know, more competitive in our spaces. But they put models, beauticians, models, right there. They never went and hired the ex experienced crowd. They never hired experienced crowd. They went and put models on every show to read their news bulletins and to have current affairs shows. And years later, um, I sit in, in interviews, um, sessions with, with people who want, to, who want to leave, and I look at a CV that says, I've been at ANN7, but before that I did this, and I modeled there, I modeled over there, and I modeled over there. And I'm like, great stuff. You know, really great stuff. So, you should have already been asking yourself questions around how seriously they take news as a channel at inception. Because they didn't do it years later because they didn't have money. They did it right there in front of you. They put models to read and understand and hold current officials. That was, that was ANN7. Um, so, over the years, some really serious journalists have actually also worked there. And you'll have the debate now, four or five years later, it's like, like, would you ever go and work there? 
and somebody would say no because of and maybe you just bring up recent events but some serious people have worked there some serious editors have worked there so so you would ask yourself why why would would some serious people in the industry actually go there i'm going to leave that just just floating for a while you can you can chat about that and Julius Malema a few years ago and 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 why i'm raising all of these things is i want us to just look at ourselves first just hold up a mirror before we get to fake news and how it's impacting us and just just hold up a mirror to to ourselves Julius Malema sat at a press conference a few years ago um and he looked at all the journalists and there were some serious journalists in the room and he said some of you here i know personally have accepted brown envelopes some of you are paid to do what you do by a political party a and people giggled and laughed and you know like home oh, julius he was being serious he said i know you by name and then he said something else he said i even know who some of you were sleeping with here no go back it's there it's in google too cuz i actually wrote a piece and an article to business day and i was like where's sanef when that's actually said why wasn't there some form of uproar in that room that just said no i'm not that person name them and i had actually hoped that that day he had named them because what it does is is it brushes through all of us it puts puts that tag on all of us and i was thinking it's not me but somebody else might have been, it's not me but he said it and he was speaking about our institution two things he said one is i know some of you are taking brown envelopes in the room brown envelope meaning you're being bribed for the thing and he implied that they were that they were sleep now there's nothing wrong with that aspect but if it's got the wrong impact on the industry then then let me let me be the last to say don't sleep with anybody you want to sleep with but his impl- what he was implying was way beyond was way beyond that so money if it's the root of all evil it's all the tr- it's also the driving force in every government tender we've we've seen that but i think here it has an impact particularly on how our fake news looks and smells like you've got another um and it's not just something that happens here but every person with 100,000 i'm i'm way uh, below that 100,000 or more twitter followers you there's a new profession you you could now if you had 100,000 twitter followers you you begin engaging companies and you begin engaging them as a profession and a paid profession for messaging so you become something that a political party or a company would begin to take their burgers to coca-cola or even a political message so the recent ANC 
uh, scandal around around Twitter and using uh, fake people on Twitter and or not sometimes fake people, real real people, to put out messages that you would have believed to vote for a particular party. I think when we think fake news, we normally think about about that kind of behavior and whatever it is. So they no more take out the big billboard. They still do, but that's not as important anymore. The hundred thousand Twitter followers are now becoming absolutely relevant to people like the political parties and stuff like that. So when you're getting a message over Twitter, you're absolutely not even sure whether this is legit, whether it's coming from an original source, or whether you should trust it or not. So that's that's what's also happening out there. So if you thought that this thing called fake news wasn't having having an impact on on what you do every day in your newsroom as you just go about it, it is absolutely there, and that's why you really have to take it seriously. And then there's this whole thing about how fast pace and information is distributed over all of these platforms, and 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 what do you do? So let me give you um, a, an example of something. It won't be, but it'll it'll just be relevant in the in in this conversation too. But let's, for example, say you saw something. Something was happening. Hashtag right now. So there it is. And you're sitting in 15 newsrooms. Me, you, 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 you. We were all sitting scattered around these various newsrooms. And it is there, and it's going happening right now. What do you do? And then you see it in one newsroom. And you're going, wow! And you haven't verified it yet. And I don't think they've verified it yet. But there it is. The competitor has it, and they're running it. So now that pressure is building, and your your desks are looking at you and going, "Are we going to carry this? When can we carry this? It's all over." And then you see the tweet and the retweets, and it's unverified. And then you've got to make a call. And your call. Is on something unverified, happening right now, and you've got to make an editorial decision. How many of us have taken the leap of faith and gone run it because the competitor is running it? It's the pressure of the immediacy and how and how these things spread. So, what we What we are losing in in all of these things that are happening, either through the the dumbing down of newsrooms and and journalism and the not reporting, is we're losing something called good editorial. Good editorial people. We're losing something called solid editorial bases. That that just hold. A foundation sometimes in a newsroom, because you can have a newsroom, and you can have all the desks, and you can have them filled to capacity, and you can have all the numbers that you want. You could put it to your management: 22 people. I want business. I want sport. I want traffic. I want、uh, general news, and I want a political editor. Throw that in there, and you'll get it. 
And if you don't have that solid, good editorial base, this thing called fake news runs through you and 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 eats you up because you just nobody holds because nobody's holding anything, nobody catches catches the ball anymore. It's it's just a free for all, and and somebody has to be somewhere to say. Just hold back a little bit. Just hold back. Let's think about process one, process two, process three before we actually do it. But the pressures are, are, are something else. Disinformation—it's—it's it's been with us forever. You know, politicians will leak stuff about about their own comrades. Um, sensitive leaks on one politician. We've we've bought into we've bought into leaks, disinformation, everything else, and. And secret documents. We've bought that. That door has been open for a long time. So, in that door has also walked fake news. So we've just got to try to under, understand it. I want to sort of end off um, on something I read two days ago. Um, it's it's a quote by by a senior SARS member, um, and they were just just now the other day announcing uh, the opening of your, your tax season. So, so there you go, you, you, you'll, be, you'll be taxed and you'll have to pay and, and, and the government will spend your money decently. Um, quote, quote, this is an absolutely senior person sitting in SARS, the top guy. The quote goes, we hear about them, he's talking about the emails, and as I have said, I am not run by the media. I'm run by what is factually available at our disposal. Because once we do that, we are all going to be distracted by the core business, which is the efficient collection of revenue. But where we feel that there is prima facie evidence on issues that are brought to us, not what we hear, then we deal with the matter. The journalist asks, but what about the hundreds of thousands of emails that are not, are those not prima facie evidence? And then he says this, hearing about them does not necessarily mean that I've got to move there. Because bear in mind, the world has moved to what is called fake news. He's just put it there. The world has moved to something that is called fake news. But I, as a commissioner, must work on factual information at my disposal. He's taken our role. And he's using it as the argument not to deal with us and the information we have dug out. I mean, I, I, I read it with absolute disbelief. And that's why they haven't moved on emails. They've used this thing called fake news to cloud us all with the same brush and, and, and just lumped us in a space called fake news. So let me, let me read the last, the last page. These are emails and information that in most democracies have entire administrations and governments resign and or voted out at the very next election. Here we have taken the option of actually stooping to the level of calling them fake news, because we can. That is what our administration and other institutions are hiding behind to justify the lack of movement on the information available. Now, if you still don't believe that this thing called fake news has relevance to you and has consequences far beyond what we can imagine, I ask you to think again. 
I ask you to think about the next time you take a decision to dumb down, shrink, or under-resource your news departments. But let's applaud the awesome work by some really good journalists in securing those mails. Because of these journalists, we are now able to understand the rot and the extent of the corruption within, and a lot more. The alternative would have been mere more denials. We know the truth now because of the emails, credible journalists, and the mainstream media. If you can't hold it to account, then should you be making it your source of news in the first place? Thank you. So, so I'm done, right? Yeah, you're done, but you're good. Uh, um, I was hoping that this was. <laughs> If you, if you take, take, take the last 10 years, you've referenced the last 10 years, and I have. Um, and I, I was in Polokwane, and then I was in Mangohung, and, and I've just run from, from down the road. And I sit sometimes, and I, and I think, he hasn't conned us. He's the same guy. He, he's the same guy. He hasn't conned us. So what made us write in City Press, in Sunday Times, in Bild, in Burger, in all of those newspapers, those things that we wrote about him? What was it that we saw? And, and you know, I, I, I'm not naive enough to think that, but time changes, you know, and an individual changes. I'm saying that this is the same guy. This dude didn't change overnight. And we elevated him because we saw, as these analysts and critical people in spaces of information and communication, we saw we needed change from what Tabombeki was. And that's fine. And we elevated this guy. No, there was. Maybe one or two voices wrote way back then, wow, no, red light, look at, look at this. But the bigger narrative was, he's going to change it. He's a guy from the ground. He's understanding the local issues. He's, 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 he's just going to be different to what we've understood the last Tabumbeki 10 years to be. And we wrote it. And go and look at the names. I, I, I ask you nicely. Make Google your friend. Go and look at who wrote those things. In the City Press, in the Sunday Times, in, in, in Sunday Independent. Go and read it. And then fast forward to this conference and read the analytical pieces that are now written about the same dude. And... and I want to say that sometimes some of the blame lies here because, because we write it as, as now and what we begin to think we understand should be happening. But it's right in front of us sometimes. And it goes back to that thing of sometimes if you just look at the reportage part first, and look at what you're reporting, because in the reporting space, you would say, Jacob Zuma is facing 700 charges of this. Jacob Zuma has just come out of a rape trial. Jacob Zuma has 
borrowed 200 rand from Shabir Sheikh. Whoa, Jacob Zuma, you, those would be your reporting parts. But in the critical space of, of analysis, you engage it differently. You engage it on some high level of what Tabumbeki stood for and, and who he is and how he engaged with us and this guy. No. And, and that's sometimes the stuff that, that tarnishes our image because we write like the weather. I promise you, if Nkosazana takes over, may, I, I, I think the other dude will though, I think Cyril actually will, but, but if Nkosazana took over and we wrote about her now, would we be able to stand by that five years from now when the ANC has a different, press con uh, a different conference and say, I saw it, I wrote it, I fed it into the community, I distributed this, and I stand by it still. Or will we just have, because news works like that, you know, news has a cycle, and, and if you, every six months you look at a different headline, it's almost the same. It's like, wow, I could have bought this six months ago. Same thing happened. ANC corruption. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, DA infighting. All right. That's what happens in news. And, and sometimes we've just got to think a little below that surface as to what we push into, what we push into, the, into the space of information because, because it's taken seriously sometimes. I don't think people are critical enough to us to hold us to that, to hold us to what we wrote or what we said at a particular point. Talking about Andile, right? Okay, so, so, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going I'm to just take it quickly. So Andile was in the EFF, and then Andile left the EFF, and um, if you saw the press conference in Cape Town that they, they actually beat him up and he ran out and it was a whole, okay, that's fine. And then Andile, I looked at and I read his stuff and he seemed to be this academic who was speaking like, like the EFF language, you know, it's, it's right. So there he was. And I had some respect for the sum of the stuff he was saying. And then I believe what happened was he moved to something called a fake organization. Because there's an email that says, Dear Mr. Athol Gupta, please borrow us 3 million rand so that we could do this. And I think that in that borrowing or that relationship, something happened where I now own you. And before we get to whether they have a right to speak about what fake news is and or journalists, I'm going to question the fakeness or legitimacy of the existence of them first. So I want to start there. And if we begin to say, well, that's actually not a legit organization in the first place. They're doing things with an absolute agenda because there was this. Then I'm going to say, um, treat it for what it is.